Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Eric Alexander. Today, we're going to be talking about Noche UFC, the rematch between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko for the undisputed flyweight championship of the world. And Eric, it's going down this Saturday night live at the T-Mobile Arena, El Dia del Independencia de Mexico, Mexican Independence Day stacked card especially for a fight night and big stakes on the line with the belt here in the flyweight division in the main event i do yeah great card um great couple fights i'm very interested in a couple specific fights on this saturday but yeah we got that rematch long-awaited rematch we want to see if it was for real for real if it was just a fluke the first time you know what i'm saying Absolutely. And I don't think it was a fluke, but at the same time, you run a match like this 10 times, you're going to see a different outcome every single time with such high level competitors. So, Eric, without further ado, let's get down to business, because in the main event, we got the champ, Alexa Grasso. She's 16 and three, taking on the former champ and the future Hall of Famer, Valentina Shevchenko, who's 23 and four. And currently, the odds have it. Valentina Shevchenko, minus 170. The comeback on Alexa Grasso is plus 145. So, I mean, Eric, it's a far cry from where the odds were the first time they fought. I mean, the first time, if you wanted to get action down on Valentina, let's pull this up real quick. I mean, you would have had to drop a pretty penny because, check this out, the first time they fought, she closed minus 1,200. You would have, you would have had to lay twelve hundred dollars to profit a hundred had she won. So, so what would have happened was you would have lost twelve hundred dollars. But yeah. on the flip side, you put a hundred bucks down on Alexa, and you would have got seven fifty in return. Here, I mean, I mean, talk about an overcorrection. Now it's only minus one seventy Valentina plus one forty five on Alexa. What did you take away from their first encounter, and what do you think we can expect from both of them in this? Big time rematch. Well, my first takeaway out of the first fight is that Alexa's way better than people thought. That was my first thing, right? Um, we thought that Alexa had the tools. She had what was necessary, but we weren't sure if she was capable of doing it, right? We have seen Valentina be one of the most dominant champions we have ever seen in the um, female division. And then Alexa had also been inconsistent in the past, right? She had been good at some times. Then she, she would have some performances where there would be some doubt up in the air. But this time she was 100% in it. And she showed that if you take her for granted, you might pay the price. And that's what happened with Valentina Shevchenko. The reason this fight intrigues me in such a way is because we are not sure if we are witnessing the decline of Valentina. And I mean this with all due respect. But her last two performances... One is a win, one is a loss. But even in the win, a lot of people weren't 100% convinced she won that fight. So I'm not trying to take away any credit out of Alexa and what she did. But we might be finally witnessing the decline of Valentina. I mean, she's been in an extremely crazy run. She has had some crazy battles over the years. We've seen Amanda's already out the sport. She said bye-bye. All the people that dominated while Valentina was dominating are pretty much on their way out or already out. So Valentina was kind of defining the odds for a specific time. And she's trying to answer those questions this next Saturday. We'll see if she actually has what it takes to be a champion again and have another run 
or maybe it's bye bye for Valentina too. Yeah, I mean, listen, historically speaking, when these long reigning champions lose their belt and they come back in an immediate rematch, they tend to lose that rematch as well. Now, it's not an 100% hit rate. I mean, you remember Amanda recently got that belt back from Juliana, and there's been instances where, I mean, uh, Izzy got his belt back against uh, Alex, but then yeah. he just lost it again, right? So it's hard to be a long reigning champion once you've lost that belt. And what's interesting about this matchup is the last time they fought, I kind of broke it down like this. I said, one of these next three fights, Valentina is going to lose her belt. I'm not sure if it's going to be Alexa. I'm not sure if it's going to be Aaron Blanchfield, Manon Fioro. I think that, I think that despite what happened Saturday, I think you got to look out for Aaron Blanchfield and Manon yeah. Fioro. I think they're the future of the division. But take nothing away from what Alexa has accomplished because you remember when she first came into the UFC and they tried to push her off the bat. I mean, let's even backtrack to before she was in the UFC. When she was in Invicta, the kind of hand she was putting on these ladies and it was like, yo, who's this girl? Came into the UFC, had a couple you know, roadblocks along the way, puts it all together, moves up a weight class and... Now we're looking at an undisputed champion, Eric, and it's great because this fight, the first time, it wasn't, you know, smooth sailing. She had to overcome adversity, my man. I mean, she wins the first round by the narrowest of margins. Next two rounds go Valentina's way, and we'll talk about the specifics of why they went her way in a second. And when it came down to that fourth round, it looked like it was still going Valentina's way until the infamous spinning back kick and what's interesting is that's not the first time i've seen a champion lose their belt from a spinning back uh kick you know turn into some kind of ground attack you remember when chris weidman fought luke rockhold and he threw the ill-advised spinning wheel kick and that i say ill-advised valentino's wasn't ill-advised because that'd been a weapon she'd been using for years and had never, you know, bit her in the ass. Whereas Weidman, Weidman, you're a D1 wrestler, bro. You're you're not supposed to be throwing <laughs> kicks up that high. You know what I'm saying? So when he threw it against Luke Rockhold and Luke got on top, he just pounded him out and Herb let him take unnecessary damage. Where here it was a little bit different. Here it was very opportunistic by Alexa. We know that, you know, obviously she's got great hand speed, but she's someone that prides herself on her jujitsu as well. And one opportunity was all it took to close the show, Eric. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, people love when, when these videos of fighters preparing for a specific move of their opponent come out. And this is exactly what happened. Um, Alexa Grasso and her team were preparing specifically for that kick, and they capitalized as soon as they had the opportunity. And that's one of the things when you're a wrong, uh, long-reigning champion, right? Fighters will have tape to study. They'll find patterns. Every day as days go by, this game evolves more and more. We have the Eric Nixix of the world, like analyzing every little aspect. And they'll start picking up on those little patterns that you might have used to your advantage in the past. But they, they have a great way of turning it into something negative in your behalf. So that's what we saw with um, Entran Jim and Alexa Grasso. They've been doing a great job with all of their fighters. The evolution down there in Mexico is amazing. Um, and this is a pretty, pretty big chance for them to put a stamp on what they're doing down there, saying, hey, it was not a fluke. We have the talent. We know how to exploit their um, weaknesses. And, dude, I'm excited because just like you said, people might remember the result, but they kind of forget how the fight was going. It's not that Alexa Garazzo was running through Valentina Shevchenko. This was not one-way traffic. She was able to capitalize, and when she did, she was able to get the result. 
but things weren't going as specifically how you would want them to go her way, right? Absolutely. With Alexa, you know, she's put up the kind of numbers we like in a variety of fights in terms of the volume. You no, know, she's reached that over 150 significant strike marks uh, before and the over 100 mark, you know, as well. And this time the output, you know, was a little bit on the lower side. And that's due to Valentina. Valentina is a counter striker. She's able to slow fights down. She's got that nasty check right hook, the spin, as you know, uh, her body kicks are on point, of course. And what's interesting is Valentina had a lot of success with the wrestling in this fight. Now, it wasn't easy to get Alexa down, but when she did get her down, she was able to hold her down for prolonged periods of time. But credit to Alexa, because going into the fight, I thought that that crucifix of Valentina might have potentially given Alexa a lot of issues. And she got her in that crucifix, and Alexa was able to, you know, stay composed, stay relaxed, kind of mitigate the damage a little bit and eventually get back up to her feet. And a lot of people only remember the rear naked choke, but there was a pretty somewhat close guillotine attempt at, I believe, the end of the third round. And I'm very curious. You know, there are only 10 seconds left on, on the clock. I'm curious, had there been more, would that have been a fight-ending uh, you know, submission right there. So there's a lot to digest because obviously it's easy to say, well, all Valentina needs to do is not throw that kick and, you know, accrue some top control with these takedowns. But it's like, do you think, do you not think that the, the coaches of Alexa Grasso, you think they don't know that you think they don't know that Valentina is probably going to look to wrestle here. So man, it's just hard to gauge who's going to make the most improvements. And then it comes down to the odds for me. And I'm kind of bitter, Eric, because I missed out on the plus 200 on Alexa Grasso. I thought that people that got in on that plus 200, you guys did your job. But now that it's moved, I mean, over 50 cents and, and it's plus 140, plus 145, I missed out on the best of it. And many can view it as a buy low spot on Valentina because I can't remember the last time we got odds like this on Valentina. So yeah. it's a really tough call for me. What's your official pick? That's that's what I'm interested. So this fight is going to show me so many different things. Like I want to see how Alexa performs as a champion. It's a whole different thing. Once you're the champion, you have that extra pressure on you. Sometimes fighters crumble under that pressure. In Valentina, the, the reason I'm so interested in Valentina is because although we have seen her lose in the past, we had not seen her lose in this manner. We're used to seeing her lose close decisions and people be like, oh, she won. And that's totally different from getting submitted. Once she gets submitted, that takes a toll on you. I want to see her, um, how she feels coming back from a loss, immediate rematch. We always talk about these immediate rematch. Um, if you don't get your mental health in shape for a rematch, which is what I think happened with Israel Adesanya, once you get caught in a submission, your past might come back to haunt you. You know what I'm saying? Like you might freeze. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I'm just interested in seeing how Valentina approaches this fight. Now, that's why I feel the odds are so close, just like you mentioned. Like we're not used to seeing Valentina in close odds. She's usually very dominant. She's usually the person that should win. In this case, they're like giving her a little pat in the back, maybe because of her history, but I'm not 100% convinced that at this point of her in her career, she had she has what it takes to defeat Alexa Grasso and Alexa Grasso. That ever since she moved up in weight, she's looked great. Her hands improved with each fight. Her submission game, we know it's always there. It's always good. And 
the team of coaches in Entran Gym, she has Diego Lopez. They, they have a really nice and good chemistry. They know what it takes and they've done it before in multiple locations. So I have a hunch that Alexa might pull it off again. Yeah. Um, I, I think you bring up some very valid points and let me say this because I think the biggest thing, you know, when you compare a submission loss to a knockout loss, like for example, when Kamaru Usman got head kick knocked out, uh, compared to when Valentina got choked out. So both of them lost their aura of invincibility, right? And mm -hmm. I kind of think that Valentina lost that aura in the Tyla Santos fight, which a lot of people thought that Tyla won that fight. But the big difference is that you can recover from, from a submission loss, um, whereas that knockout that Usman took, you know, I mean, who knows what the psychological effect that had? Who knows? the neurological effect. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know for sure. I just know that, you know, when you get knocked out like that, chances are you're going to come back a big gun shy. And we saw in that rematch with Leon, he did come back gun shy. Whereas here where it was a submission loss, you know, you don't, she didn't take much damage or anything like, like Kamaru took a life changing head kick knockout, right? He's never, he might win a fight or two, but he's never going to be champ again. He'll never be the same guy. Whereas Valentina, you could look at it as, okay, there's a couple mistakes we need to correct. And I just need to be a bit more aggressive. I just don't expect Valentina to be gun shy due to the submission loss. Um, that, that's, I agree. What, that's what I think the difference is between compare, comparing that to the Usman. But then you, you bring up the other fact that these long-reigning champions, when they lose their belt, they often lose the immediate rematch as well. So they that's do. a big point we got to bring up. So you're going with Alexa. I really want to go with Alexa, but I'm letting my bitterness of missing this line by over 50 cents influence my decision. And I hope one of us is correct here. So I'm going to go with uh, Valentina. But I, I hope I'm wrong because it's, it's El Dia de Independencia de Mexico. I know, right? They built this whole, whole card around it. <laughs> yeah, it's Noche UFC. Um, I'd love to see the division move forward. I like these fresh matchups with Aaron Blanchfield, with Manon Fioro. So I hope Alexa wins, but uh, I'm, I'm going to pick Valentina. You're picking Alexa. One of us is going to be right, and uh, let's see who it is. Co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. This is a banger. We got Kevin Holland. He's 25 and nine, 25 and nine, excuse me, taking on Jack Della Madalena, who's 15 and two. Currently, they got it. Jack Della Madalena minus 145. The comeback on Kevin Holland was plus 125. And I heard a lot of people crying, like, how can they have these two non-Hispanic fighters in, in the co-main event? I'm thinking to myself, like, these no two stand and these two stand and bang like yeah, no, no, Latino no warriors. Like they're gonna go out there and fight like Mexican fighters. That's why. Yeah. They put them in the co-main. It's not like these two are gonna hump each other's legs. Yeah, there's or... a lot of there's a lot of fights we can complain. This is not one of them. Yeah, exactly. This is a perfect co-main event. Like if this, if the, let's say for argument's sake that this card was actually in Mexico, which I think they initially wanted to do, uh, there were some logistics they couldn't work out. I mean, the Mexican crowd would go fucking crazy for yeah. these two. Did you uh, see the the bit they did with Kevin Holland in the tacos? Oh, I saw it. Is extremely funny. This dude is just funny. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a character. And Della, you might be a little bit more soft spoken, but make no mistake about it. Oh, yeah. Homie comes to bang. And I mean, you see how his nose is rearranged on the other side of his face. Oh, he can take it. He, he can not just give it, Eric. He can take it too. And this is actually my first bet of the night. Um, I gave it out a week or so ago at plus 100 on Jack Della Madalena. Now it's minus 145 to minus 150. So regardless of the outcome, I did my job beating the odds by, you know, 50 cents or whatever. And 
And if I really wanted to hedge out here and bet Kevin Holland and either guarantee myself a break even or a profit, I could do that too. But I'm going to ride it out on Jack Della. And here's why. So there's a lot of recency bias about Jack Della's last fight with ha ha uh, Basel Hafez. And I think that it's so categorically false to even compare that matchup to Kevin Holland. I think that that fight's completely irrelevant to this. I mean, first of all, Basil Hafez is a five foot ten cocked stocky guy who is going to attempt 20 takedowns now eric when you hear me say attempt 20 takedowns i know that sounds like sarcasm i know that sounds like you know a play on words like i'm trying to be cute and funny no he literally attempted 20 takedowns when he fought jack della madalena he got three of 20 takedowns kevin holland is not that guy kevin holland you can Kevin Holland could be on top of you, and he's going to tell you to get back up like he did against Wonderboy. Kevin Holland will only shoot takedowns when he's badly hurt. The only mm -hmm. time I can remember Kevin Holland actively shooting takedowns was actually his first UFC win against the guy they referred to as the white Mike Tyson, John Phillips. That's the only time. Besides that, Kevin Holland does not shoot for takedowns. So these two are going to bang it out, and it's about a range battle. I mean, look, Kevin Holland, he's long. He's lanky. At this point, he's a very seasoned and experienced UFC vet. He's paid his dues. He's been in there with the who's who. I mean, sidekicks, big punches. That right hand is nasty. Power. And you, and, yeah. Power. You, you shoot a sloppy takedown on him. He's a black belt in jujitsu. He's got those long oh, yeah. man chokes. But up close, if Jack Della can cut off that cage, which I'm assuming is the game plan here, rip to the body, go upstairs. I've always felt like Kevin Holland. I'm not discrediting his toughness because I know he's a very tough guy, but I feel like he does best when he's in the driver's seat, when he's the hammer. And I don't think that Della is going to, or I hope as someone who bet on Della, that Della isn't going to give him that space he needs to operate and get off on his long man strikes. And I think that uh, Jack is going to really make this man work, make him fight. And that's where we've seen Kevin have issues in the past. I'm not even referring to the Wonder Boy fight. Go, go, you know, if you're going to give uh, Della shit for going to split with that newcomer who fights nothing like Holland, well, then let's talk about uh, when Holland went to split with a guy like Darren Stewart. Why did that happen? Because those guys are putting the pressure on Holland. Holland doesn't like it when you do that. This is no longer, and all due respect to Santiago Ponzinibbio, Alex Cowboy. All, you know, Tim Means, all these guys that we grew up watching, but they're on their way out. Whereas Della kind of represents that new emerging top 15 welterweight. And I think he still has some durability left. I mean, don't get me wrong. Kevin can finish anybody, but just saying, I trust the chin of Della more than I do of the current state of the legend Pons, the legend Alex Cowboy and all these Tim Means, these guys that we respect so much, I think Della can get it done. But, of course, it's contingent on the range that this fight takes place in. Yeah, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. So I think Della's a great fighter. Just like you said, I think he has everything that it takes to make this a very interesting fight. What The reason I side with um, Kevin Holling in this fight is experience. He's been in there with a lot of people, with a lot of different um, fighters. And I feel like... He does very well in the chaos. Kevin Holland is used to chaos, and he's not only used to 170 chaos, he's used to 185 chaos. And that's what makes a whole different for me whenever I'm analyzing Kevin Holland with a striker. Um, I certainly know that Della Madalena is going to put up a crazy fight, but I wonder. 
I wonder what's going to happen once he gets cracked by Kevin Holland. Because for some reason, people forget about the power he possesses because of his physique. But this dude can knock out middleweights. Once he cracks you in 170, you're going to feel that power. And, and we know for a fact that because of De La Madalena style, he likes to trade. He likes to make things interesting, although he can also be very technical at times. I feel that Kevin Holland is going to try to take him out of his comfort zone and push him to a fight that he thinks he could win, but it might end up being something negative in the long run. I think that Kevin Holland is going to put it on him. He's going to do his usual talk, try to like make things interesting and get him out of focus to try to get a result. I feel like Kevin Holland can get him out of there if he does the I'm sorry, if he follows the right game plan. Um, he also has to be careful because just like you said, Dela Madalena can get inside. And if he gets inside, things will get very ugly. And I would not um, be surprised if we start seeing Kevin Holland try to shoot and try to use a little bit more of his jiu-jitsu. Like you said, because of what happened in his past with wrestlers, people totally forget that he is very dangerous off of his back. He can submit you if you given the, the, the opportunity. So I think when I look at this fight, I see more options, more, more roads to a victory for Kevin Holland than I do for De La Madalena. Like I see De La Madalena pressuring, doing his thing, but if Kevin can get him out of his um, comfort zone, things are going to get very, very interesting. Of course. And it comes down to the range at which this fight is played out of. Um, reach. That 81 inch reach, dude, is, is ridiculous at 170. Yeah, I mean, the guy's got an eight-inch reach advantage, so it literally depends. I mean, if they're at the center of the octagon, I'm going to be screaming for Della, you know, <laughs> cut off the goddamn kid, you know, yeah. walk him down, make it feel small in there. Um, but the thing about it is I think there's a misconception because I hear people talking about, well, if, if Kevin uses his grappling, it, Kevin's grappling – don't get me wrong, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but it's predicated on him dropping you, jumping on a submission. And you said he does have some good stuff off his back. I mean, let's not forget he knocked out Jacare off yeah. his back, which which one doesn't simply do. So I'm not discrediting at all. It's just that when people saw that last fight with Basil Hafez, they kind of are yeah. assuming that Kevin's going to do that. Kevin fights nothing like that at all. No, um, so... To me, Kevin's ground success will be predicated on him hurting Della first. And whether it's Della taking a, a sloppy shot or whether it's Della getting dropped, that's where Kevin could put, uh, potentially uh, you know, sn uh, snatch the neck. But Della's got experience with tall, rangy guys, too. You saw what he did to Randy Brown, and it's easy to say, oh, oh yeah. the first punch he landed hurt Randy, and, and let's just discredit that performance. But... No, pay, pay close attention. He was hand fighting. He grabbed the wrist of Randy Brown, then cracked him over the top with a nasty right hand. And man, that first that first shot he landed. I mean, uh, you know, we got to be careful with the words uh, we use here. But uh, Randy was on a street he didn't know the name of to put it <laughs> to put it eloquently. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's so, being nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, but I, I, I appreciate the devil's advocate. This is important. We need it's not. I don't like it when people just come on here and just agree with me for the sake of agreeing with me. I uh, want people, no, no, no. We got to make it fun. Yeah. I want you to be genuine and give your real prediction and, and tell it how it is. And that's, what's important here. So I bet him, like I said, a plus 100 about a week ago, he's minus 150 now. So as far as an odds perspective, I did my job. Like I said, if I want to hedge out or 
guarantee myself either a profit or a break even i can go bet kevin holland right now at this at these odds but when it was a, when it was lined as a 50 50 fight and i kind of viewed it as maybe 60 40 madalena i had to move in on the 50 50 odds on madalena and, that, and that's what i did so yeah, let's uh, let, let the best man win. We know it's going to be fireworks. Uh, oh yeah, on Mexican. I'm very there. very interested. That that's a good fight to lead to the main event because the main event could be a banger, but it could also be an extremely technical slow fight. Uh, we know for a fact that Ma De La Madalena and Kevin Holland are going to bring in the fireworks. Absolutely, absolutely. And let me just say one more thing. I don't know if you know how much stock people want to put into this, but you know that Della was supposed to fight um so he had a fight booked against sean brady right mm -hmm. and he even cut weight for the sean brady fight and that got canceled and then he came back a week later cut weight again and yeah. this is not look he might he's be a big boy he might you know only be well he's 5'11 which is not a small guy but he, he's a thick boy mm -hmm. um and for that guy to cut weight he didn't even make a big deal about it and yeah. again, that fight with Hafez, like I said, Hafez and Holland fight nothing alike. But if we want to look at what happened in that Hafez fight, Hafez is a serious black belt. And Della had a couple of close guillotine attempts against him. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we don't want to do that, you know, in too many spots. I think that he kind of got carried away. I think he, got, he, he felt like, I want to submit this black belt, you know, and played around a little bit. Also, sometimes when odds are so wide, because Della was like a minus 750 favor in that spot, and the opponent has a little bit more success, than you expected. Um, sometimes people kind of overblow that a little bit. We're going to talk about this kid, Edgar Shires, who fought Tyra in a similar situation where he was a big underdog. He had two moments of success, and, and now he's a minus 250 favorite in a UFC fight. So we're going to talk about, you know, that kind of recency bias, um, you know, as this fight progresses. But we're on opposite sides here. Any last words for this epic co-main event? No, just like you said, pointing out the fact that he had two weight cuts into in in a short span of time. That, in my opinion, that definitely played out in in his performance. Like people don't realize, once you already cut the weight, you're urging to start hydrating again. And then as he started hydrating again, he found out that he was gonna fight again. So you need to put a stop to that. So he did not allow for his body to recover properly, and then he was putting it through another weight cut in, in a short period of time. So I'm convinced that we're going to see a different version we're going to see a better version of de la madalena this saturday dude and that's all i can hope for because this should be a great fight and even with two weight cuts in round three he arguably got a 10 a so this guy mm -hmm. he's not going to quit on himself you have, you, have to, you have to severely compromise him uh so yeah. i cannot wait for this one now featured bout we got the return of the young prodigy <laughs> literally he's 18 years old Raul Rosas Jr. He's seven and one. He's taking on Terrence Mitchell, who's fourteen and three, and currently, my friend, listen to this. They got it. Raul Rosas minus eight hundred. The comeback on Terrence Mitchell is plus five fifty. So I heard a lot of people crying about, oh, they're just giving him softballs, and I'm thinking to myself, like, well, what else would they do? I mean, you got one guy. He's eighteen. He can't he's, eight. he's not even supposed to be here. If you ask me. If you ask me, he's not supposed to be signed by the major promotion. You could have signed him, yeah. Send him somewhere else to get developed. He's 18. He would be fighting grown, experienced men that can change his life forever. I have no issues whatsoever 
with the UFC babying him for a couple of years because we've seen in the past what happens when you bring these younglings into the, the promotion, when they don't have their experience, when they excel in one aspect of the game, but they're very green in other aspects. He learned the hard way. He learned the hard way. Hey, let's be honest. He was also somewhat competitive in that fight. But I have no issue. What do people want to see? Do they want to see Raul Rosas Jr. facing, what, a Dominic Cruz? That kind of level, like, <laughs> I don't know. That, like, he's 18. He's still a kid. Think yeah. about what you were doing when you were 18. Were you in a major promotion? No. I was Let, him, develop. Let him grow. Let his body develop. He's not even properly developed yet. This kid might end up fighting 145, 155 in the future from what I can see. So I have no issues with the UFC taking things down a notch, realizing, hey, okay, we might, we might, we might have gone over our over our heads with him for a second, but hey, I, I, this is what he needs. He needs the experience. He needs he needs the time inside the cage, and, and years to go by. Yeah, and, and not to mention, man. I mean, because the example you brought up, you know, Sage Northcutt's a perfect example of a guy. They kind of, you know, not that he would have panned out if they did it the right way, but you know, they kind of rushed him a little bit. But let me say this about this matchup: Raul Rosas is one and one in the UFC. Terrence Mitchell's zero and one in the UFC. We see one and one versus zero and one all the time. So I got oh. zero issues with this matchmaking. People are acting like they they found some random guy off the street. And don't get me wrong, I don't I don't project Terrence. Mitchell to have the brightest future in the UFC because listen, he comes from that Alaska FC scene, which, you know, I respect my Alaskans. It's a beautiful place and the way they live, they live hard. They're, you know, lots of fishermen and it's just like they, you know, they, they gotta, they, they gotta get it. You know what I'm saying out yeah. there? Like they, it doesn't come easy to them. So I respect it, but he comes from a shitty promotion um, and I've never quite been impressed with Terrence Mitchell. Now, granted, he's got close to double the experience uh, as uh, as uh, this kid, you know, more than double the experience. But the thing about Raul, you look at that last fight against Christian Rodriguez. Christian Rodriguez is a fucking killer, man. Christian Wait, Rodriguez yeah. is serious. Christian's about to fight Cameron Simon in a real prospect showdown. Raul won the first round against him. And people saying, oh, it's first round or bust. That's bullshit. Watch his contender series fight. He put on a three-round clinic against that kid. I think that after that Jay Perrin fight where he treated Jay Perrin in a way where uh, we never heard from Jay Perrin ever again. And, you know, you're, you're 18 years old. You know, you get, you know, I don't know if he got the bonus or not, but basically he whooped the dude's ass in a way where, you know, you're going back to high school. Everyone's kicking. Everyone's kissing your ass. You know, you're the new hot shit. You know, who the fuck is uh, is is Christian Rodriguez, right? And I think he yeah. had to learn a very valuable lesson against a legit guy. It's not like he learned a valuable lesson against some bum. Christian no. Rodriguez. It's legit. legit. As soon as that fight got announced, whoever knows Christian Rodriguez knew. There's like, oh, this kid is in a fight now. We'll see if he's actually ready for this kind of level. And I think the reason people are complaining about this fight and the odds and, and the level of it is because Raul Rosas Jr. talks a lot. This kid talks a big game. Once you come into the promotion, he understands what you need to do. He understands you need to be in everyone's mouth in order to be relevant, in order to get these good spots in the cards. He knows it, but that comes at a price. People start hating on you. If you don't get the results, because if you talk a lot and you get the results, people suddenly fall in love with you and you become the fan favorite. But once you can't back up your words on a constant basis, you become this. And people want to see Raul Rosas Jr. get beat up 
each time he goes into the cage. And that's the reason why people are upset because they know he has a legitimate chance of winning this fight comfortably and they want to see him lose. That's that's it. And But like you said, it's like he took a real fight in his last fight against Christian Rodriguez. Christian Rodriguez is a veteran, very experienced. This kid is good. And Raul Rosas Jr. was able to hold his own for a minute. Then cardio kicked, <laughs> cardio checked out, experience kicked in for Christian, and we saw the difference. But this kid has a bright future. Technique-wise, he is amazing. Just give him time. Just let him develop himself. After the fight, he was training with Aljamain Sterling. That's the kind of things I want to see out of him. Look for that experience. Be humble in that regard. We've seen Valentina Shevchenko travel all over the world to keep broadening her, her horizons and learning more and more. So that's why this is what needed to happen to Raul Rosas Jr. for him to be grounded and be like, okay, there's a lot of things I need to work on before I start talking crazy about titles and defeating Aljamain Sterling. Let's just say things little by little. And this is exactly it. Terrence Mitchell is that little by little we need to see. Yeah, and exactly. Before the Christian fight, he's saying, oh, you know, because like I said, his head blew up after the Jay Parent fight, right? Yeah. You know, you're this 18-year-old kid. You choke someone out on a pay-per-view in front of a sold-out crowd. You know, mm -hmm. everyone's kissing your ass, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he had to learn a hard lesson. And it's not that his cardio sucks. I just think that he had not only a, a big adrenaline dump after that first round, but Christian Rodriguez is a savage like we know. So here, you know, moving forward, firstly, the kids had less than 10 pro fights. I say it all the time. People with 10 or less pro fights, they're going to be making these big leaps every single time, let alone a kid born in fucking 2004. He's just a kid. And, okay, now let's look at some of the physical attributes. So he will actually kind of be the smaller man here, you know, um, Terrence Mitchell actually has a seven inch reach advantage. Raul Rosas is 15 years younger, but let me say this when Raul Rosas takes his back, that reach advantage is not going to matter. And I do think that it's probably a one back take or one takedown and the fight is over shortly after situation. I think the odds reflect that. And I think Raul Rosas jr. Is going to get back on track and they're going to continue the slow roll after this. You know what? I'm surprised the card placement. Why do I say this? We've seen the Mohamed Mokaev. He's usually down in the prelims. First, second fight of the night. Although Mokaev has a bright future, he talks a lot too. Raul is back in the main card of a very important card. That says a lot. Although the level and the quality is completely different, the fact that he's still under the bright lights, everyone is going to be watching again, so you cannot have a slip-up again. That's another thing that people don't realize. He's he's literally being developed in front of our eyes. And if you're a, a fighter, you don't want to be developed in the main card. You know what I'm saying? Because it can make you or break you. This kid is special. Just like you said, once he takes your back, it's a whole different ball game. And he just needed the experience. And this is what he's going to keep getting. Yeah, but to your point, though, you know, as far as it being a main card, it's not a main card fight against, you know, some oh, yes. 25 not, guys. UFC 292 or something like that. Take take a wild guess what Terrence Mitchell is ranked worldwide at Bantamweight. Just take a wild guess. Out of all the Bantamweights on planet Earth, what do you think he's ranked? I would say top 60. <laughs> you want, you, I'm, trying, you ready? Trying to be I'm trying to be generous here. <laughs> yeah. You ready for this? Hit me. He's number 183 God. ranked Bantamweight on planet Earth. That's why 
Raul's the featured bat. Raul's yeah. getting a nice showcase. And you said top 60. Raul's 71 in the world, right? So that no makes sense. Deal. You know, you're making your climb up. You get the 183 guy, you know, to come out here, you know, submit him real quick, pound him out real quick, whatever the case is. And then we move on to, you know, the next worst guy. So um, that's what you have to do uh, until this kid grows up a little bit. He can't even buy a beer. You know what I'm saying? He can't even celebrate legally after this. Now, one, just take a trip to Puerto Rico. You're completely legal over there. <laughs> so next up in the lightweight division, we got Daniel Zelhuber. He's 13 and one taking on Christos Giagos, who's 20 and 10. Currently they got it. Daniel Zelhuber minus 260. The comeback on Christos Giagos is plus 220. So, this is my next bet on the card. So I took Daniel Zellhuber minus 220. He's currently minus 260. So we already got 40 cents, you know, uh, on that line. Um, and I think it's going to close even higher than that. And listen, man, let's put it like this, because we watch his contender series fight. We watch all his regional fights. He looks like a female. I mean, nicknamed golden boy. I see why they call him the golden boy. Um, just, He's got these flashes. He does unorthodox moves, spinning kicks, judo throws, nice combinations in the pocket too. Like you saw his last fight, yeah. very tall for the weight class, very long. He's got a good head on his shoulders. And then that UFC debut came around. And when you watch that fight, you know, I talk about this often. It wasn't about, you know, oh man, Trey Ogden looked like this future contender. No, it was just Daniel Zellhuber. The lights were a little bit too bright in that debut. He pulled what we like to refer to as the debut stunt. You, for a uh, point in case, you look at Tyler Santos, who arguably beat Valentina Shevchenko in a lot of people's opinions. Her UFC debut, she went out there against Mara Romero Barella, who's, you know, bottom of the bottom and and again it wasn't about Barella looking like oh some future title challenger it was about Tyler Santos you know was kind of mesmerized by that first UFC appearance kind of stared at her opponent a little bit and uh the the thing the mistake I made was I held it against her going forward and then in her subsequent fight she showed oh this is the person I saw on tape. This is the prospect that I scouted. Whereas with El Huber, I didn't make that mistake. I chalked it down to a debut stunt. I go back to the well against Lando Venata. He looks like the guy I thought he was originally. And now here, he's up against another season experienced UFC vet in Christos Giagos, a guy who's fought the Gilbert Burns and the Charles Dubronx Oliveras and the Armin Sarukians. Granted, he's been finished by all of them, but he's still been in there with he's all a very those physical guys. Guy. He's a physical guy. I'm glad you said that because I want to say this in the most respectful way possible, especially for a guy who stuck around in the UFC as long as this guy has. I've always viewed him as more of an athlete than I have a fighter. And let me explain what I mean by that. Look, his technique isn't bad or anything. I'm not discrediting his technique. You saw that fucking big left hook he landed on uh, on Ricky Glenn. You've seen in other fights, he's landed takedowns. He trains with the good people at Sanford MMA. Like, the guy can fight. It's just, it seems like when the going gets tough, he kind of wilts down the stretch in fights. And there's nothing special that stands out about his game. He's just a really good athlete. And I respect him for being able to stick around the UFC this long. And maybe he can give Zell Huber some kind of vet lesson. But I think this is another opportunity for Zell Huber to show, hey, that Trey Ogden fight was just a debut stunt. I really am that emerging, upcoming, talented prospect that could one day be a top 15 guy. 
And I think this is an opportunity for him to showcase that. And I hope so because I have a bet on him. Um, I'm going Daniel Zellhuber here to get it done. I've bet him all th- three UFC fights, you know, counting this one, and I'm not stopping here. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. Daniel Zellhuber is a very well-rounded fighter. Um, sometimes the lights are a little bit too bright. Not everyone handles the debut with the same um, intensity. Some people could get a little bit shaken up by it. Um, but this is a perfect matchup for Daniel to showcase his skills. He's a very interesting, dynamic fighter. He has that lengthy reach, um, creativity that we need to see in this division, specifically in 2023. So it, specifically, let's point out again, he's Mexican. Mexicans, when whenever it's their time to shine, this whole card is built around Mexico. They know they need to put it on their um, opponents. And Christos Gagos, is, it's a perfect opponent for that. Just like you said, he seems to freeze in occasions. Um, Daniel is going to pressure a lot. And he he's going to bring a game that Christos, although he's fought the who's who's, he might not be expecting out of this kid. I have great expectations out of Daniel, and this Saturday is a great way for me to continue building all this um, momentum I have around him because I think the kid can do great things. But just like Raul Rosas Jr., he needs to develop. He needs to fight the Chris Griagos and get that experience under him so that we can truly see all the all, everything he has to offer. He reminds me in a sort of weird way of Jair. Yeah. Jair? Jair had all that creativity, but in in moments we would we, we have doubt or what, from what we were seeing out of him, and then all of a sudden, once everything came together, we seen what Jair became. I think he could do something very similar. Yeah, he's got that similar flashy style. Works with the right people, as Coach Eric Nixick, who just you know was in the Genius. corner of Sean Genius. Strickland. You know, um, and I think that they learned a lot, you know, and I and, and I watched his recent interview and he was talking about he actually is still learning from that loss uh, against Trey Ogden more than he learned from the win uh, against Lando. And once this kid feels like this is his home and this is where he truly belongs, I mean, look out, man, um, because, again, Christos Giagos. Maybe it's a vet lesson situation, but I feel like Zell Huber already got his vet lesson, and now it's time you learn from your mistakes. You're starting to feel more comfortable out there, and with the Mexican uh, crowd behind them, not that you know, that might, I, I don't know how much stock to put in that, but I, I have a feeling Daniel's not going to be gun shy on Mexican Independence Day. So uh, yeah, I think I think all the Mexicans are going to be a little bit more willing to trade and give those exciting fights because that's where they thrive you know and they're getting like you said they're gonna have the crowd behind them it's gonna be a pro mexico crowd so we we should expect some interesting fights yeah i think christos is gonna come out hard but christos historically fades down the stretch in fights and unless zell huber like can't get up from bottom which doesn't seem like an issue he has especially considering the gym he trains at Mm -hmm. um I think he's going to be able to take over this fight late and potentially get a finish. So, yep, pick and bet there. Now, this one I'm very curious about your opinion on. I mean, I'm curious opinion on all of these, but this one specifically because I don't have the best read on the prospect here. So next up in the featherweight division, we got Fernando Padilla. He's 15-4, and four, taking on Kyle Nelson, who's 14-5-1. Currently, they got it. Fernando uh, Padilla, minus 240. The comeback on Kyle Nelson is plus 205. So, okay, Fernando Padilla, very long 
for the weight class. You know, mm -hmm. he's six foot one. He's got the 76 inch reach. He's paid his dues outside the UFC. I mean, he, this guy fought Dan Ige on his regional scene. Uh, he's beat some UFC vets along the way. He's lost to some UFC vets along the way. So he's had the ups and downs, right? He's ready for this opportunity. I'm just still trying to figure out exactly what his game is. Like, I know he's super long for the weight class. I know he's a tough Mexican warrior. I'm just curious to see what happens when a fight gets extended at the UFC level. And with Kyle Nelson, I've been wrong about him because he was a guy that I made a bet with a, with a buddy. I was like, yeah, this guy's not going to be in the UFC this time next year. And not only was he in the UFC this time next year, he's been in the UFC since damn 2018 and we're in 2023 so kyle nelson much respect and he spoiled plans before eric i mean yes. duho choi fight look i thought duho won the fight the fact that this kid made it to a draw on duho's comeback respect blake builder was the undefeated prospect hands mm. him his first loss so it used to be a thing with kyle nelson where kind of a bit more of a heavier hitter but would have that big first round that would kind of fall off a cliff especially if you put it on him but it seems like he started to add a little bit more his wrestling starting to tighten up a little bit and at this point you can consider him a seasoned ufc vet so now but the issue is when I talk about vet lessons, okay, you look at the Blake Builder fight. Blake Builder was only 8-0, right? Whereas Padilla has had the exact same amount of experience, even one more pro fight than, yeah. than Kyle Nelson. So I wouldn't view this as a vet lesson, you know, it should Kyle Nelson win. It's just I'm trying to figure out exactly what Padilla, who Padilla truly is. I know he's a long, exciting tough mexican striker but it wasn't too, not too long ago spike carlisle you know grinding this guy out but also you know the julian arosa fight you you got to give him credit but you know if you haven't figured out how to drop julian arosa in 2023 there's an issue there but he handled his job accordingly how do you kind of scout padilla and what do you think about this matchup I love this fight because in the eyes of a lot of people, this is a prospect against a UFC vet, just like you mentioned. But when you look at Padilla's record, just like you said, he's fought a lot of UFC veterans. He's lost, he's won, but he also has a lot of experience. A lot of people see Nelson, the guy that fought Billy Quarantilo, Jai Herbert, um, Duhu Choi, who's a savage. So he's going to bring a different aspect, that grindy aspect. You know, we're going to see what Padilla is made of. Just like you mentioned, what's going to happen in the if the fight goes past the first, if it goes past the second? Are you going to still have that same pop? Are you still going to have the same power, that creativity that you're known for? And that's what Padilla's a very... <laughs> I don't want to compare two fighters to the same guy immediately, back to back, but Padilla... Also reminds me a lot of Yair Rodriguez. He's a very creative. Really? Yes, he has a lot. The, he knows how to utilize the reach. That's not something we're used to. Mexican fighters are not known for being tall and lengthy. He is. He has that reach. He knows how to use it. He does tend to trade too much. And that's when it becomes a little bit dangerous for him when you're fighting Nelson. So I'm very interested in this fight. I can see why why he's the favorite like i said he carries a lot of power it doesn't seem that way but if he touches you you are going down he likes to trade and he can take a punch as well that's one of the things that people don't realize he can take a punch and he has the ability to make things very very interesting 
But at this point with Nelson, he's extremely experienced. He's been in there with a lot of interesting guys like Billy Quarantillo, Jai Herbert, guys that can make you grind and show what you're made of. We have not seen that out of Padilla. And this is the perfect example to see if he's really that person or maybe we're just confused with him. Yeah, so I'm not really trying to get into too big of a debate here because, I mean, I'm not that spirited on this. Um so I understand in terms of body type, you know, him being a longer, you know, Mexican fighter, the Yair comparison. But the reason why I view Zell Huber more like Yair is because of the dynamicism, the athletic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what I meant is completely physical. My bad. If I didn't specify it's specifically that he has that yeah. body type that Yair possesses in this division. Yeah. Um, you know, less flash, more kind of like that traditional Mexican brawler just with Sit the long. Down and, yeah with the longer body frame, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're both going Padilla here. Um, I'm just, uh, you know, I didn't lay the price on Padilla like I did on Zell Huber because I still, um, the jury's still out for me. I still want to see how this guy's going to perform long-term in the UFC. Um, but I'm not writing him off by any means. I'm picking him to win this fight because we know what Kyle Nelson is, right? I just exactly. don't know what Padilla is yet. Um, and I can't wait to find out. I mean, he's been very exciting to watch, so I can't wait to see uh, how these two uh, stack up. And if it's a matter, if it comes down to who's the tougher guy, I mean, you know who I got all day in that one, you know? So, yeah. yeah. No, I completely agree. I'm very skeptical on fighters as well. I, I, I don't go based off of one result. I like to see what they do once they get to the promotion because we know that sometimes they come from finicky promotions. The level they, they face in the past is not – comparable to what they're going to face in the UFC. And sometimes people come with an extremely ton of hype and then we see that, no, they, they were never as good as we thought. Padilla is still gaining with us. He still needs to show, he needs to answer a lot of questions. And I think that Nelson is a perfect matchup to make him work, show us different aspects that we might have not seen yet. And then let us know if this kid is actually for real or not. Yes, sir. So, before we talk about the prelims, we just got done with the main card. Everyone do me a huge favor. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. Hit the like button for me. Uh, after this is done, leave me a comment. And Eric, uh, where, where can they follow you? It's at Eric Alexander on Twitter and uh, Instagram or what? So on YouTube, they can find me as Liga Combate. I'm very active on Twitter. That's my favorite social media. I just like talking. But if you like if you speak Spanish, because my content is in Spanish, if you like to see my content, my channel is Liga Combate. So Combat League in Spanish. Yeah, but dude, let me say something. Even if you don't speak Spanish, y'all should check him out because he's enthusiastic. He's entertaining. <laughs> like, uh, you know, when I uh, play FIFA with my friends, we always set the commentary to Spanish so we can get the goal, you know, like. <laughs> Dude, that's extremely interesting because when I started, like, I live in Atlanta, right? So when I started creating content, I, for, although I'm Puerto Rican, I've always consumed all of my content in English. I am used to seeing everything in English, and it's a very different demeanor, right? So when I started creating content in Spanish, I was trying to apply that, and then I realized, oh, wait, it's it's a whole different ballgame, right? And initially, I used to tell people, it's like, you guys do not want to see me watch a fight live. The way I react, you guys will think I'm crazy. And then one time, one of my editors is like, hey, Eric, you should literally stream live and just show everyone. I was like, okay, here it goes, nothing. And then people started loving it. 
people love that energy in Spanish. They yeah. love to see you yell, go crazy, lose your mind, as I usually do when I'm watching a fight on my own. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing a lot lately, and people seem to like it. So, <laughs> It's great. Keep it up, man. And y'all should definitely follow him. Uh, pure entertainment, but I don't want the entertainment aspect to discredit from your knowledge of the sport, which you clearly, I mean, have. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. So next up in the strawweight division, we got Lupita Godinez. She's 10 and three, taking on Elise Reed, who's seven and three. Currently, they got it. Lupita Godinez minus 450. The comeback on Elise Reed is plus 350. You know, I, I, uh, I was seeing this girl named Lupita and I saved her on my phone as Lupi. Shout out to Lupi Godinez, you know, that nickname. And she had never heard that before. I was like, okay, well, I know another Lupita, Lupi. And yeah, <laughs> now we got two of them. But uh, currently, oh, I, I already read the odds, right? Minus 450, Lupita plus 350. Mm -hmm. The Elise Reed. So, I mean, here's my thing, man. I think that Loopy has all the tools to win this fight, not just in the wrestling, which is where it would be the path of least resistance. We know about her wrestling background, and not to mention, fun little stat Elise Reed has been taken down in every single UFC fight she's had, some fights multiple times. So, if Loopy just wants to make this easy, I mean, go ahead and do that. But let me give Loopy a little bit of credit, man, because in that last fight she had against Emily Ducote, I mean, she put up the kind of numbers we like. She, 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 okay, so she landed 132 significant strikes. She attempted 246 strikes. So when yeah. you got output like that, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not writing off the possibility of her banging with the least read either. Um, it's just when you're laying a price like this, I want her to take the path of least resistance. Why even give Elise Reed a chance to win this fight? Because we know Elise Reed, look, she's not, you know, a Valentina Shevchenko standing, but the strongest attribute of her game is her Muay Thai. We know this. So I'm just curious about the game plan of Loopy, but I think she can win in both areas, but one area might be a lot more dominant than the other. I completely agree. I completely agree. I think they, they might try to, test waters why do i say this um loopy's record is a little bit deceiving why she gets to the ufc and then she goes on a um, angie hill rampant where she just wants to fight every other week and then we saw her lose a couple of fights but loopy loopy is always in those fights even the fights she lost she had her moments we've seen her take her time now develop train specific aspects and as fights go by we've seen her implement those aspects just like you mentioned her last fight we saw her strike a lot have a lot of success in the striking department i'm not saying that's what's going to be the plan because you pretty much just laid out wrestling should be the the path to victory here but i wouldn't mind seeing loopy um test the waters against elise reed a vet we know she's a good um striker so i want to see what loopy has developed in this past couple months and and see where this can go because i'm very big on loopy i've seen um the grit she has i'm seeing the the i i know people in her camp that tell me the way she trains her her um work ethic so i'm very excited to see what the future holds for her and this is a big fight in order to build on that Yes, sir. So next up in the middleweight division, we got Roman Kopilov. He's eleven and two, taking on Josh Fremd, who's eleven and four. 
Currently, they got it. Roman Kopalov minus 410. The comeback on Josh Frem is plus 310. This is such an interesting fight for me because when Roman Kopalov first came into the UFC, very low output, low mm-hmm. volume. Um, you know, for a Russian, you'd think that the grappling chops would be up here, and this guy is more of a striking, fun strike, uh, a striking Russian. And let me tell you what, his hands are super clean, and I feel like he really turned a corner in that Alessio Di Chirico fight. You know, it started off a little bit slow, but that knockout was very, very crisp, clean, precise, accurate. And ever since that, he's been riding that momentum, and all of a sudden, these last two fights, the low volume has gone out the window, and he's looking like a monster. And let's not forget about that liver kick he has, too. And he strings it with his combinations nicely. So I love the direction that this kid's heading in. But let me tell you something, man. Josh Fremd is not a bum, and I truly think that Josh Fremd has not shown what he's fully capable of yet. If you watch Josh Fremd's regional fights, man, like he was sleeping guys, like one-hitter, quitter, sleeping guys. He's also a very, very physical guy. He's listed at 6'4". I think he's actually closer to six foot five. Um, and I want to see what I saw on the regional scene in the UFC. It hasn't quite translated yet i mean he's still you know gone two and two and i felt like he was well on his way to winning that treshawn gore fight until that epic fucking executioner choke guillotine came out of nowhere you know props to treshawn you know a guy that trains here in atlanta um but that that uh fight he had against jamie pickett so you know he missed weight for that fight Um, which was very uncharacteristic. The guy never missed weight as a wrestler, never missed weight as an MMA fighter. And even on his worst day, he's still 30, 27, the guy. So I feel like, you know, we just still haven't seen the best of him. Whereas Roman, he's starting to really feel comfortable in there. So I guess my biggest issue is just the price, you know, the minus four something. I I just can't really get behind it, you know, especially when it opened minus 140. You know, if you got that minus 140, if you got even minus 250, okay. But now in the minus 400s, I think that, you know, we need to we need to relax a little bit. I think it might be a dogger pass situation. My pick is going to be Roman, but I'm not interested at these odds, and I'm still waiting for that breakout performance from Frem because, like I said, uh, on his regional scene, I was like, damn, like who's this guy? Still yeah. hasn't quite shown it. One of these days, I think he will. Yeah, I'm not sure if Roman is the guy, though. Roman is, just like you said, he started a little bit so-so. As time has gone by, he's been growing and developing his style and finally it's looking like he's falling into his own game um i think this is going to be a great um fight for roman to keep showcasing his style the fun part that we've seen in the last couple of fights and i think things are going to get interesting josh frem is definitely a great opponent to showcase that and look um make an interesting fight roman has a number next to him frem this is a great opportunity for frem so i expect frem to bring his A-game and showcase, just like you said, what he used to showcase in the regional scene. Let's see. My 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 pick is with Roman because I think um, what I've seen in the last couple of fights is extremely exciting. And just because he's a quiet guy, people don't take him into consideration a lot, but this, this dude can make very interesting fights. 
Yeah, absolutely. Such clean, technical, precise hands. That liver kick, like we mentioned, the takedown defense has been getting a lot better. But Josh Frame with the length, he's got nasty calf kicks, which I'm curious how they're gonna, you know, translate here against the southpaw. He's also with his with his height, he can bring those knees up very, very high. Um, he's got some big check hooks. So, man, I, I cannot wait for this fight. I, I have a feeling someone might hit the deck here. And if not, it's going to be a three-round banger. So the pick is Kopalov, but at these odds, you know, look, if you got in on the early Kopalov odds, you did your job. But here at minus 400, I can't do anything with it. I think it might be a dog or pass at this point, you know, at this current yeah. point. Now, next up in the flyweight division, I can't wait for this one, my man. We got Edgar Shirez. He's 10-5. and five. Taking on Daniel Miojo da Silva Lacerda, who's eleven and five, and currently they got it. Edgar Shirez minus two fifty. The comeback on Daniel da Silva Lacerda is plus two ten. So I actually took uh, Lacerda here. I think fifth time is the charm. You know, people ask, how could you keep a guy that went zero and four? in the UFC and when all these, when other guys would cut off one or two losses. And I mean, do you guys remember a kid named Leonard Garcia who they let lose five or six in a row? It's because of the way he fights. This guy is the true yeah. definition of killer be killed. He's super exciting. And I'm actually kind of embarrassed about the odds I got. Cause I thought plus plus one eighty was perfectly fine. Um, and now it's plus two ten. I mean, at least I beat the odds on the Zell Huber and the Jack Della Madalena by a good bit, but every once in a while, I'm not going to get the best of it. And that actually really bothers me as a long-term gambler, but all that aside, listen, man, when I watched Daniel Lacerda fight and just throughout his career, like the beginning of all these fights, like, I'm like, man, like, this kid has some stuff. This kid is, like, special Exciting. at times. It, like, yeah. But, like, the moves, like, the techniques are, like, dynamic and high level. It's just he kind of, like, falls off a cliff, and I'm curious if it's, like, a maturity thing. I don't think it's a gas tank thing because he trains with the shoot-the-box guys. I know he's in shape. I think that sometimes just when you, you know, if you're going 100 miles per hour on, on the highway, man, I mean, it's only science that the gas is going to, you know, dwindle. That's just how science yeah. works, right? Um, but if this kid can just show a little bit more maturity, like there's a reason they haven't cut him yet because he is that exciting. But it's not just a matter of, you know, some sloppy brawler. Like the techniques are really high level. I just need a little bit more pacing. I need a little bit more maturity. And I think if he can do that, I mean, he's surrounded by the right people. So, man, th this is why they're giving him a fifth chance. And with Edgar Shires, look, He's a Mexican warrior. He's he's physical. He's strong. He's tough as hell. But my issue with Edgar Shirez is the volume is on the much lower side. You know, it'll be like two minutes of inactivity. But when he throws, he throws hard. Um, and then occasionally he'll get some opportunistic submissions. And back to what we were talking about, you know, remember when we were talking about the Della Madalena fight, how people kind of overblew the success that his opponent Hafez had just because Hafez was such a big underdog. Well, here with um, Edgar Shirez in the Tyra fight, I, people, I feel like people overblew his success in that fight. He had two good moments. In the first round, landed one good punch, and in the third round, had you know a guillotine at the end at the end of the round a mounted guillotine besides that i thought that tyra smashed him man and not only that you watch his fight prior to the ufc i'm not even talking about contender series i'm talking about the one against gianni vasquez where all everybody 
uh, remembers is you, you remember how he had that triangle choke where the guy went to sleep, but the ref didn't stop the fight. And then he, and then he transitions to arm bar against his lifeless body. Um, and it was very sad to watch. Tough to watch. Yeah. It's tough that, to watch. That was, that was in the fourth round of that fight. Right. But what people mm -hmm. don't remember is that dude was whooping Chira's ass. Like, pretty much like in two of the three rounds leading up to that fourth round. Like had that been a three round, Chires loses that fight because his volume is such on the lower side. So I think that Daniel Lacerda is going to be getting off on stuff. It's just, um, I talk about this often. He can give it, but can he take it too? I felt like that last fight was a big step in the right direction. Like he gave CJ Vergara everything. We know CJ Vergara oh, yeah. is a dog. And Daniel De Silva, I don't I didn't feel like he looked for a way out. My point in case is when uh CJ had that locked in arm triangle, De Silva could have tapped out right away. He tried to survive. He wanted that win so bad, but yeah. man, he he it just that the the gas tank was just empty because he went balls to the wall 100 miles per hour. I haven't bet on this kid before until now. I think fifth time is the charm. I think Edgar is an opponent that's not going to push the pace like a like a CJ Vergara, like a, a Victor Altamirano, former LFA champion, like Jeff Molina, who at one point was a top 10 UFC fighter until he was involved in fixing fights. You know what I'm saying? Um, so... I want to give this kid a chance because I really do see potential. It's just he's young, immature. Just show me a little maturity. Have Charles Dubronx and the shoot to box guys really get behind you, and let's put it together for one night, and let this be your time to shine, kid. I'm going for the underdog pick here for Lacerda. I know the concerns. I'm not, I'm not delusional, but I'm willing to give him a chance because I do see improvements and I do see potential. Just put it together for one night for me. Yeah, I completely agree. This fight, I think, is a lot closer than people realize. The, the fact that the odds are that big is because of what happened um, between Chaires and Tatsuro. And I think that's mostly because people expected Tatsuro Daira to just run over him. The fact that he couldn't do it in the specific way people expected is making Edgar's, um, Edgar's stock a little bit bigger. And people are just like, oh, my God, this dude went to... Yeah, it, just like you said, he had his moments, but... Tatsuro Taira won that fight. It wasn't even uh, controversial in any way. And Daniel Lacerda and the Chuta Box team, they have something happening lately where they show they are dangerous. They have extremely good moments in all of their fights, but recklessness always comes to bite them. And this is what we need to see. We need that maturity from Daniel Lacerda. We need him to be a little bit more controlled, have a little bit more um, patience in the fights and using all his tools because... People from Chute Box are very well-rounded. They can strike, they can grapple, they can do everything in a great way, but they lose their minds. They like to make things interesting in such a way that they end up losing decisions that they could have won. This is a chance for Daniel Lacerda to actually showcase that. He has that experience. He can control all that recklessness that they're known for, and people love that. That's one thing. One of the reasons they keep doing it is because people – Love that entertaining style, but at the end of the day, it comes with a cost. If your opponent is patient, if your opponent knows how to handle it, he'll probably end up taking a decision. This is a fight where Daniel Lacerda needs to know when to press the accelerator and when to pump the brakes, and he can easily pull off an upset, just like you said. Now, next up in the flyweight division, very interesting matchup between 
two ranked fighters, Tracy Cortez, 10 and one, taking on Jasmine Jazdavicius, who's nine and two. And currently they got it lined close. They got it Tracy Cortez minus 120 and Jasmine Jazdavicius plus 100. So it's a pick em with a slight lean on Tracy Cortez. It's been a year since we've seen Cortez, but I mean, we know what she brings to the table. What's your opinion on this fight? I'm interested in seeing Tracy um, return. It's been a long time. She's young. I hate to see young fighters take such long time off. We know she had the personal situation with the Brian Ortega and all that, but we had seen a lot of improvements in her game in her past fights. Obviously, that relationship with Brian Ortega was paying dividends because she was looking really good in, um, in her grappling aspect. But this this will be an interesting fight. A good fight to return is going to be a is going to be the the level that she needs is not coming down is still keeping this maintaining the same level of competitiveness she needs and obviously people are really high on her because of her looks but can she walk the walk when the time comes this division is on fire and you need to be special you need to be special and we have seen a lot of holes in her game in the past but i think that she has enough to take a victory in this in this fight so what's interesting for me, I'd like to know why uh, Tracy Cortez pulled out of that Amanda Hibash fight on like the week of the fight. If anyone knows, please let me know. Was it a mental health thing? Was it a serious injury? Like what was exactly mental health? She literally, she literally claimed mental health. Okay. Um, cause we know Tracy Cortez, if we're just talking, if they just put the singlet on, they just wrestle. I mean, Tracy Cortez is winning that she's super heavy on top. I think her striking has been getting a little bit better. Uh, my, my only thing is that Jasmine, she's got that dog in her, man. She look, it might not look the prettiest, but like she'll go for it. And if the, and if there's any kind of doubt in Tracy's head, if there's any kind of, you know, maybe not pulling the trigger as much, I mean, dude, like Jasmine is going to put it on you. And that's yep. what I'm worried about for Tracy in this spot. So while I would say that, again, you know, Tracy might be more technically sound, might be better for playing it safe. Jasmine doesn't take no for an answer. Jasmine's going to put her foot, uh, you know, she's going to put that pedal to the metal and she's going to go for it. And if it's 1-1 going into that third round, I kind of think Jasmine's the one that's really just going to bite down. Like I said, it might not look the prettiest, but she's going to be doing more. And I think she can break people down the stretch. It's just when Tracy gets on top of her, does that mean that that's the end of the round? Does that mean that Jasmine can't get back up? Because I'm curious. But then again, you look at the Melissa Gatto fight, which was a hell of a fight, amazing fight. And props to Tracy for coming out on top because she had to go through some stuff in that fight. Um, I'm just curious. Uh, you know, going forward, you know, talking about mental health. And, and I respect the, the hell out of her for being honest and candid uh, because, you know, even the most confident people, you never know what they're going through. Like, I'll admit, I, I've had my struggles with anxiety as well. You might think I'm this charismatic, confident guy, and you never truly know what someone's going through, man. So uh, all respect to Tracy, but I think that Jasmine – She's got that dog in her, and I think she's going to push that pace. And as long as she doesn't get neutralized, I think she can take two of these rounds. So we're going to go opposite sides here, and uh, I'm excited to see who, who uh, comes out on top. No, I completely agree. I think Jasmine has what it takes. She's been in there with grapplers in the past. You know, we saw what she was able to pull off with Maverick. So it's not that she she can't pull it off. We're, we're just excited to see what, what Tracy brings after a long layoff the reason she pulled out of her last fight. So 
let's see. It'll be interesting on Saturday. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Charlie Campbell making his UFC debut. He's seven and two, taking on Alex Reyes, the brother of Dominic Reyes, who's 13 and three, making his UFC return after a six year layoff, Eric. And currently, they got it. Charlie Campbell minus, just depends where you look. I see from minus 400 to, you know, minus 380s. The comeback on Alex Reyes is plus 300. So, you know what's really interesting about this so the last time alex reyes fought was 2017 charlie campbell had not even made his amateur debut then so since the time that that alex reyes has been gone charlie campbell's had his entire career and with charlie campbell he kind of reminds me of a young um Clay Collard, like he's he's he goes for broke. He's super aggressive, and if you know there is any kind of hesitation from Reyes here, you know six years, the people we've seen come back from layoffs like this. I mean, Matt Wyman off a five-year layoff looked terrible. Nick Diaz off a six-year layoff looked terrible. So mm-hmm. and I'm and never not- a big fan of these six-year layoffs. Why? Why are you coming back? Why? Yeah. Yeah, and, and not that Reyes was a world beater to begin with. His only UFC fight, he got knocked out in like a minute. Granted, against a real dude in Perry, but prior to that, he was a two division king of the cage champ. But when you look at the guys he was fighting, it was you know fat bums, and I'm not even exaggerating, you know. Um, and he look, he is a black belt under Robert Drysdale, which you don't just get a black belt under Robert Drysdale. But so that Max Roshkov guy was a black belt under. Uh, Robert Drysdale too. This is not a jujitsu competition. There's exactly. a reason. There's a reason I do jujitsu because I don't want to get punched, kicked, kneed, and elbowed. That's why I do jujitsu. You understand what I'm saying? So, um, I just think that Charlie Campbell with that kind of clay collared madman approach is going to get right in his face. And y'all remember Campbell from that fight he had on Contender Series, that epic one round war he had with Chris Duncan, where he had Duncan on the ropes. Duncan was about to go out, and then Charlie got caught. And, I mean, that's the kind of guy that Charlie is. It's kill or be killed, and I, I think it's going to be kill uh, on Saturday night. I think the odds reflect that. I think he's going to walk this man down, not give him any time to get his footing, you know, to kind of start to feel comfortable in the octagon again. Not that he ever was comfortable in the octagon, but just saying he's not going to give him a second to breathe, a second to rest. And I think he's going to be nonstop output until he puts down Alex Reyes. And I, I, it hurts my feeling saying this because you watch Reyes's interviews. He seems like such a nice guy. Like you hear his interview with, with James Lynch. Man, he, man, I, I feel bad for him. Like I really like the guy. But, you know, this we take emotions aside. I think Charlie's going to run through this guy. Dude, if it takes you six years to figure something out, you should not come back. If it takes you six years to whatever you needed to figure out, if it took you six years to figure that out, you should not come back. This is one of the fastest evolving games, sports in the world. What he faced in 2017, the last time he walked into an octagon, and what he's going to face now, completely different. Completely different. A year out will make you fall behind. And I don't think um, I don't think six years if uh, – I'm, I'm not a big fan of big layoffs. I'm not a big fan of li- big layoffs. Just like you said um, – Campbell's ready to go. Man, I feel bad for Reyes. I feel bad for Reyes. So, last but not least, kicking off the card in the strawweight division, we got two debuts. We got Josephine Nutson 
or Nutson, however you pronounce it. She's six and zero, taking on Marnie Mann, who's six and one. Currently, they got it. Josephine Knutson minus seven hundred. The comeback on Marnie Mann is plus five hundred. So you've seen both of these ladies on Contender Series. Josephine, a lot of people were crying that she didn't get the contract, and Marnie Mann was on the wrong side of the worst or the best knockout. Uh, the best women's knockout in contender series history when Bruna Brazil head kicked her into the fifth mm-hmm. dimension. Um, listen, Josephine Knutson, I was very, um, you know, I had some choice words because I, I thought that, you know, I understand why they didn't sign her, man. I mean, I felt like, you know, she had a really good kick early on in that fight, rocked her with that head kick. And then after that, it was just a three round boring clinch fest. Like you can't perform like that and, and expect a contract on the night. She got a contract later on. I would have loved to have seen her against Yasmin Lucino because people were planting their flags, Eric. People were saying, oh, yeah. this girl is a top 15 fighter right now. And I pride myself on my ability to scout talent. I said in Yan Xiaonan's UFC debut that she's a future top five guy, uh, excuse me, top five fighter. Um, people were saying Josephine, based on that performance, was future top 15. I didn't see it. So, uh, But here against Marnie Mann, I think she's going to be more physical. Marnie Mann did, did uh, you know, she did land a couple of takedowns against Bruna Brazil, but so what? Bruna got right back up, schooled her. I mean, Josephine should be able to do her thing as it's minus 700 in the case. But let's see what's up when Josephine fights a Yasmin Lucindo and a bigger step up in competition. But this one, she'll be able to, you know, Muay Thai clinch her way and kind of just finesse this one out. So I, I got Josephine Knutson to get uh, her first UFC win. Yeah, I completely agree. A lot of people like have gotten used to what's going on in the Dana White contender series lately that he hands out a lot of contracts. Uh, that's not what we were used to at the beginning. That's not that's how it's supposed to be. A lot of these people end up getting contracts and when they get to the UFC, we see that they were not ready. So we should not be making these decisions based on one kick, on two good takedowns, on maybe how they look. Scout their opponents, scout their experience, determine if you think that's quality work in order to determine if you're ready for the UFC. In this case, this is a fight made for Josephine to look good, just like you said, to keep building on what we've seen previously, little by little, because like you said, she did not look extremely amazing. So there is something in there, but they need to see more. And this is what they're doing. They're opening the card with her. Marnik Mann is in there for a reason. And I think that Josephine should take this. Yeah, and uh, you know the the way people were reacting when she didn't get a contract, uh, I thought it was pretty nuts, son. So, uh, no pun intended. But anyways, man, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna give you a sec to to think about it. So, for me, my fight to watch is a no brainer. It's gotta be the co main event between Kevin Holland and Jack Della Maddalena. I would be shocked. If either guy was humping the other guy's leg, I would be shocked if the Latin crowd was booing a fight like this between these two bangers. And I would be shocked if there was not a highlight reel finish. And if there isn't, it's going to be fight of the night. So for that reason, Kevin Holland versus Jack De La Maddalena is the fight to watch. In your opinion, my man, what's the fight to watch? That's the fight to watch, sir. That is the fight to watch. That's a hundred percent secure banger. <laughs> we know what, Jedi, uh, what Jack De La Madalena brings. We know what Kevin Holland brings. This is the style that makes Kevin look good. 
And I don't mean that he should beat Della, but in this case, this is what made him a fan favorite. These kind of fights, the bangers and Della Madalena, you know, he can bang. We know he has power. We know he has great boxing. So this is a very interesting fight. I'm almost certain that this is going to be fight of the night. And in your opinion, who is the fighter to watch on this card? I'm a little bit in between two fighters. Daniel Selhuber and Raul Rosas Jr. Raul, because we want to continue seeing his improvement. We want to see what he builds. We want to see if he starts experimenting a little bit more with the striking, getting his feet wet. And with Daniel, just like you mentioned, we want to see that guy we know we saw in the past, but in the UFC, we want to get something big out of him against a, a huge veteran, a person that a lot of people think should not be in the promotion anymore. But this is the kind of fight that, he needs to like put him out or make something very special happen for us to continue to grow on that. So I'm a, you know what? I'm gonna go with Daniel. I'm gonna give Daniel that moment. That's funny because I was going to go with Daniel Zell Hoover as well. And the reason why is because when he first came to the UFC, I said, this kid was special. I said, I saw shades and signs of Yair Rodriguez of the next emerging Mexican star. And obviously, you know, you pull that debut stump, but then we saw the glimpses in the Lando fight. And now that he's got the confidence of knowing, Hey, I do belong here. You know, uh, that first fight was, was a bit of a fluke. And, mm -hmm. and if they ever ran it back, I still got Zell Huber. If he ever runs it back with Ogden, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So now you got that experience behind you. You got another tough vet, but a tough vet who look, he's, he's experienced, he's athletic, but he's the kind of guy you build up your young prospects with. And there's a reason that made this matchup. I want to see if this kid's going to go out there and show out like I think he will, like I expect him to, and like I want him to. So for that reason, Daniel Zellhuber is my fighter to watch. Well, Eric, we did it. We broke down the whole Noche UFC card going down this Saturday night on El Dia del Independencia de Mexico at the T-Mobile Arena. The big rematch between Grasso and Shevchenko, Holland and Madalena to all the fans. Thank you all so much for all your support. Please smash the like button. Please hit the subscribe button. When this is done, leave me a comment. If you feel so inclined, please share. Follow my man, Eric, at Eric Alexander and Liga Combate. Uh, Eric, any last words for the fans before we get out of here? No, nah, man, don't miss Saturday because this should be a very entertaining card. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me, my friend. Appreciate don't the invite. Yes, sir. My pleasure. We'll do it again soon, especially maybe in person sometimes since you're in the ATL. I like that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, again, the fans, y'all know where to follow me. Y'all know where to follow him. Thank you again for everything. Y'all enjoy the fights. Enjoy Contender Series tonight. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.